BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The first shipments of the coronavirus vaccine have arrived in California. That's a ray of good news in a state with more than a million and a half COVID cases and 21,000 deaths, says Carmela Coyle, president of the California Hospital Association. The number of cases is rising at an astronomical rate. This vaccine is the first step to really begin to help us mitigate and slow that pace down. So here's what you should know about California's vaccine shipments. There are 327,000 doses in the first batch. The doses will be distributed statewide, but hard-hit population centers will get the bulk of the supply. The vaccine will initially be stored at secure, ultra-cold storage facilities at seven hospitals. They include Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, the UC San Francisco Medical Center, and the Radies Children's Hospital in San Diego. Who gets the vaccine first? frontline medical workers, and residents and staff at long-term assisted living facilities. They'll be followed by essential workers. The vaccination of tens of millions of more Californians will stretch well into next year. Now, counties have leeway in managing their vaccination programs. From Los Angeles, KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports on how L.A. County won't follow the federal COVID-19 vaccination plan for nursing homes. The federal plan relies on CVS and Walgreens to administer the Pfizer vaccine at nursing facilities. Instead, L.A. County's health department is going to use the Moderna vaccine at nursing homes, and it's training nursing home staff to administer it. Unlike the Pfizer vaccine, Moderna's doesn't require deep freeze storage. L.A. is interested in speed. Once it gets its expected approval for emergency use, the Moderna vaccine will be sent directly to the county's 385 nursing homes. Officials expect to get the first doses around December 21st. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says that's a full week sooner than the pharmacy-run program is expected to begin. She said the county will help nursing homes that don't have enough staff to give the shots. We have strike teams that'll go out and make sure that, you know, in a a matter of days, uh, we're vaccinating everybody. L.A.'s nursing homes have been hit hard by the pandemic. More than 2,100 residents and staff have died of the virus. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. 
And as people start getting vaccinated, California doctors are preparing to talk to patients about it, and the physicians are expecting some resistance. CAP Radio's healthcare reporter Sammy Kayola reports. Family physician Shannon Connolly says vaccine education happens daily in her Orange County clinic. Usually it's around the flu shot, but she says this winter will be different. Because the pandemic has become so deeply politicized in our country, patients are much more distrustful of, or will be much more distrustful of the COVID-19 vaccine than they have been historically of of other vaccines. In May, 72% of Americans said they would get a COVID-19 vaccine. By November, that number dropped to 60%. That's according to a Pew Research Center survey. I think they're afraid that the politicization of the COVID pandemic has resulted in the development of an unsafe product, She says she's been spending extra time studying the current vaccine trials so she can assure her patients that they're safe. Organizations like the California Medical Association are creating resources to help physicians prepare to talk to vaccine-hesitant patients. Dr. Richard Pan, a California state senator and an advocate for stricter immunization policies, says there's a lot of false information about the COVID-19 vaccine online. The spread of mis- or disinformation does have a cost to it. And that part of that cost is the time that health professionals who are certainly willing to do it, but it takes them away from other things, talking about things like nutrition or the child's development. In California, the vaccine will be offered to healthcare providers and essential workers before it's made widely available. For the California Report, I'm Sammy Kayola. The California Restaurant Association says up to one-third of the state's eateries might not survive the pandemic. That number could be significantly higher in the Bay Area and Los Angeles County, where immigrants who are particularly vulnerable to changes in the economy make up a larger share of restaurant owners. KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb spoke with restaurateurs in the San Gabriel Valley east of L.A. It's home to a vibrant Chinese-American food scene. It's lunchtime at NBC Seafood Restaurant in Monterey Park. I'm sitting with Genevieve Ko on the last day of outdoor dining in Los Angeles. She's a recipe creator and also editor for the New York Times cooking section, and she grew up in this part of East LA County. On the menu, a Cantonese staple she grew up eating, dim sum. So this is a steamed rice roll with uh, roasted pork with cha siu. So dig in. Now, enjoying dim sum comes with the type of dining experience tailored for a large banquet hall. You know the place. Red carpeting, no frills, white tablecloth, round tables that sit 12. Oh yeah, tea kettles that are always full. But with outdoor dining now on hold in LA and in other parts of California, Co says there's a real risk places like this one just won't make it. Yeah, a lot of these other restaurants actually closed even before COVID. And so this was one of the last few that are remaining. Other restaurants that had been doing relatively well with outdoor dining are beginning to struggle. That includes Popping Yoke in nearby Alhambra. All right, so that's going to come up to 9:10, and your order's going to be ready in about 15 minutes. It's a brunch spot owned by Jason Tsai. Popping Yoke is designed for dining. It's not designed for to-go. So it wasn't really worth because nobody coming over here to get an egg benedict to go. I mean, they did, but not a lot of people, you know? Nobody coming over here say, I want to grab a French toast to go, you know, or a mimosa to go. They want a dining. Tsai says he's staying open for now, but with eight grand in rent and utilities, another 20 for his waitstaff and his chef, he just doesn't know how long he can last. 
And it's a similar story down the road at Jiangnan Spring in Alhambra. Frances Chang says she's hoping news of a vaccine will bolster business at her restaurant. This isn't going to end until there's a vaccine, um, just because it's going to be open, close, open, close. And so the short term is, you know, everyone is getting used to having to order takeout either online or on the phone. There is some financial help on the way. Governor Gavin Newsom says he's extending the tax deadline for restaurants by three months. And L.A. is offering upwards of $30,000 for payroll and other business expenses. For now, for these restaurant owners, it's all about adapting, gritting your teeth, and a little luck. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in the San Gabriel Valley. Hundreds of fewer kindergartners are enrolled in Sacramento City schools this year. And as CAP Radio's Pauline Bartoloni reports, that's giving the school district one more thing to worry about. Ann Crisp says she tried distance learning with her five-year-old son for a couple of weeks, but it didn't work. She and her husband work at home, and their son has some developmental delays. We set up a desk next to my desk, and I can make sure he was paying attention. But because of his delays, even following along doing the alphabet, I needed to be there right next to him, helping him hold his pencil the right way. So Crisp is paying to keep their would-be kindergartner in private preschool this year. She says the long-term value of in-person learning is worth the risk of him contracting COVID-19 at school. I don't want him to be delayed going into school any more than he already was going to be. Other parents have faced similar decisions. Early numbers show Sacramento City Unified enrolled about 600 fewer kindergartners this year. And Los Angeles Unified has thousands fewer. Sac City Superintendent Jorge Aguilar is worried about the drop. Kindergarten is a critical, critical educational milestone that leads to another critical milestone a couple of years down the road in third grade readiness rates, which of course have a tremendous association to overall success. Aguilar says if the declining enrollment holds, it could eventually mean millions in lost revenue to the already cash-strapped district. Advocates worry inequities could worsen. If poor kids fall behind during the pandemic, it will be harder for them to catch up to their classmates. For the California Report, I'm Pauline Bartoloni in Sacramento. It's been almost six months since Pacific Gas and Electric got out of bankruptcy protection. As part of that deal, the utility agreed to pay a billion dollars to California cities and counties harmed by the wildfires the utility's equipment caused. Now, from Butte County to Sonoma, there's debate over how to spend that money. The California Report's Lily Jamali has more. A billion dollars might sound like a lot, but it's divided among several cities and counties. One, the county of Sonoma, got about $150 million in PG&E's bankruptcy settlement. That's just 60% of what it estimates it lost in the fires, including the 2017 Tubbs fire, which at the time was California's most destructive. We have roads and curbs and gutters that are still bubbled up or uh, were completely destroyed. We got to take care of the black eye that still exists in our communities, on our infrastructure. That's Supervisor James Gore, whose district has been hit hard. He says keeping the county safe from future fires is top of mind for everyone. We have to use the money that's in front of us now to make a big hit on risk reduction. That means investing in fire breaks and doing vegetation management that's tracked down to the acre. But there's a divide over whether that's the best approach. 
there is no way that we can have vegetation management uh, investments large enough to offset the kind of uh, damage that was done during the 17 fires, quite frankly, or even the Kincaid fire uh, two years later. Supervisor David Rabbit favors longer-term, even generational improvements, like addressing the county's affordable housing crisis, which has driven residents into more fire-prone areas, and preparing for the realities of climate change. He worries about spreading the money too thin. My fear is that you'll turn around and go, all the money's gone, and we don't really have anything to show for it. The thing is, pretty much everyone wants to do short-term and long-term fixes, but there's only so much money in the pot. So far, Sonoma County has set aside $10 million for affordable housing and $25 million for vegetation management. The question now is what to do with the rest. For the California Report, I'm Lily Jamali. And the public can sound off on how to spend the rest at tomorrow's Sonoma County Supervisors Meeting. And that is the California Report for Monday, December 14th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary. PersonalCapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com, and Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.